broadcasting from the great city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, home of the cheesesteak and your Eastern Division leading Philadelphia Phillies. This is the TeacherCast Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Bradbury, and welcome to another episode of the TeacherCast Podcast from TeacherCast.net. The TeacherCast podcast is a weekly show where we discuss the 21st century technologies that teachers need to utilize in their 21st century classrooms. Today is a very special show for us at TeacherCast. Today we are recording our first principal cast featuring two amazing administrators who are wonderful enough to take time out of their busy schedule and join us. Joining us today from the great state of Illinois, we have principal of Paris High School in Paris, Illinois, Dave Meister. Welcome to the program, Dave. How are things in Illinois? Thank you. Oh, things are going very well here, Jeffrey. We're just getting ready to start a new school year here in two weeks, and we're busy getting ready and enjoying every minute of it. What day do your kids go back? We will have kids come back in the building on August 16th, and we'll start with teachers on Monday, August 15th. Wow, that's, that's really coming up here. And also on the show, we have from the Rankin School District in Richland, Mississippi, the self-proclaimed Jedi Pad Master of Educational Technology. Welcome, Mr. Toby Price, to the uh, to the recording. How are you doing today, Toby? Fantastic. I'm happier than a bird with a french fry. I'm doing good. <laughs> and when do your kids go back? Uh, Monday. <laughs> Monday. We're getting ready to kick it off. Wow. That is early. Mm-hmm. That is great. I'm sure that they're all excited, too. Uh, I, you know what? Not as excited as my wife and I are that everybody's going back to school. It's going to be great. <laughs> that is so true, so true. Uh, well, it's a pleasure to have both of you on the program today. I've been looking forward to having some administrators on ever since we began TeacherCast. So thank you guys very much for doing this. No, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Toby, yes. uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your background? Um, well, I am... Uh, father of three. I have two children at home with autism. That's kind of how I got into the iPads. Um, I'm a principal, or assistant principal, excuse me, at Richland Upper Elementary School. We got 650 students. Uh, we're a Title I school, uh, rated successful this year. We have our, you know, ways to go and our goals to meet, but we're doing pretty well with what we have. Um, I've been in education for 10 years now. Lord, this just dawned on me. It's been 10 years. Um, I graduated with a, my master's degree from Ole Miss. I was one of the first original cohort of uh, Jim Barksdale's Principal Corps at Ole Miss. It's a really interesting program. It's online. You can learn more about it. But we actually get to serve a full year as an intern principal. So we're going to classes and learning how to be a principal at the same time. Um, so, you know, I had the best job in the world, and it's also the most stressful job in the world, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's great. That's great. Um, Dave, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I've been a principal here at Paris High School now for 10 years, actually entering my 11th year. And I've been in education for 22 years. I also taught here at Paris High School for eight years as a social studies teacher and a basketball coach. And I spent two years away at uh, a couple of elementary schools as an administrator. So let's just get started. Um, Dave, wh where do you see technology these days in education in your travels? I think the biggest change is the uh, collaboration that happens uh, between people in, in different distances. Uh, five years ago, ten years ago, we had the we had the web, we had technology, students using the internet, but it was it was a it was a one way situation. Students were looking at information, learning information. Teachers were using that information, but there was no interaction 
with people on the other end on a different computer or actually being able to manipulate the information online. And I think the collaboration that has been created by the Web 2.0 tools and the social media that has, that has spawned out of that is the biggest change that I have seen. Toby? I think with us, um, where I'm at in Mississippi, you know, we've earned, God love us, we've earned our reputation for a lot of things. And here, it, we find ourselves playing a lot of catch-up. I'm in one of the more affluent districts in the state, and, you know, we, we've kind of been ahead of the game as far as building an infrastructure that can handle the technology is one of the challenges here in our state. Um, in our schools especially, a lot of the schools just can't, ha- just, excuse me, don't can't. They just do not have the infrastructure for, to handle the technology. And one of our biggest challenges is making sure building it, you know, making sure the schools can handle it. It's kind of sad that in a lot of areas, McDonald's has free Wi-Fi, but a lot of our schools don't have it at all. So one of our biggest challenges that I've seen is we're trying to build that infrastructure in all of our schools. In Rankin County, we have it. It's just we're reaching out to try to kind of model for other schools on what to do and how to do it. Hmm. So we definitely, I think, can agree that technology is coming faster than we can really afford it, allow it to. What do you see the role of the school district being when it comes to technology? You know, schools have, a, a, I think, a big role to play in, in technology moving forward as, as we use it in society. Uh, technology is bringing different groups of people together, sharing information, and students need to be a part of that, not just in theory in the classroom and learning how to use the tools, they need to be using the tools to produce information, to produce understanding, and to to give their point of view on different things that are going on in their world as well as the world at large. Do you see school districts being the, the hub of the community, or do you see them just being a part of the technology as in, in your communities? I, I see them being part of a larger network. Uh, communities... Depending on where you're at, uh, there's many affluent c- communities that have a very large uh, bandwidth uh, situation, whereas I'm, I'm a little bit like Toby in that we are bottlenecked a little bit with bandwidth. But uh, in my community, the school is kind of the Internet hub because we are the ones that have the greatest access, although that is changing. Um, I think schools need to be a part of the larger community, a big part of that, but not, not the central focus of it. And, and I, I agree. I agree a lot with Dave. Um, you know, as far as being the hub, we uh, have added, you know, just recently a, a Richland Upper Elementary Twitter feed. And a lot of my teachers we're, talk, we're working on this year, and we'll go into detail about it later, I guess, would be tweeting out homework assignments. A lot of the teachers say, well, our parents aren't, they don't tweet. And I said, well, how else are they going to learn if we don't show them? <laughs> it's kind of up to us to show them is what we're kind of, you know, finding ourselves as, uh, I guess, like Dave said, the Internet hub is, you know, people come to us and here's what's on the Internet and here's how we can use it better. Are we at the point now where 95 and above percentage of our kids have personal computers and have Internet access at their house? Last year we did a survey, and we were up around 65% of our students have a, their own personal device in the home. 75% of our students have an Internet-connected computer in their, in their home. So we still have a, a large gap in our community, and we live in a relatively poor community with a lot of, uh, of low income. And, and that is one of the biggest challenges, I think. And, and I think that is the issue going forward is making sure everybody has access because the information is, is infinite. Um, I, I shouldn't say infinite, but it seems that way. And, and for people to be cut off and not have access is a, is a travesty, and we need to make sure that everybody has that kind of access, and schools do need to be able to help provide that. 
Exactly. We we look at it along the same lines. I think Dave and I come from very similar communities where they may not have it at home, but by the time they leave us, the world they're going to be going out into, they're going to be expected to know how to manipulate and use certain technologies, and we're doing our best to prepare them for it that way, at least, while they're with us. You know, the eight hours a day that we have them, we're putting as much as we can into it to help prepare them for the world that's out there, the jobs and, the you know, different arenas where they're going to go and work and hopefully venture out into. And and how do, how do you... You know, how does your school districts prepare them for technology? Um, for an example, in other podcasts that we've had, you know, I've had parents come on saying, you know, by the time the student gets into kindergarten, they know how to use an iPad, they know how to type, they know how to do these these things. Um, talk about about your school districts. What what steps do you take to make sure that they know how to survive in this digital world? I think I think it starts at the top, and in my district, we're just now. We're just now coming along to not coming really coming along, but we're we're at least having the foresight in our district now to see that this is happening and this is going to change a lot of everything. And, and even in kindergarten, you know, we underestimate a lot what kindergartners can do, where it's not so much you know pencils and crayons and finger paints anymore, and it's you know what they need to be on the internet. My daughter is searching for watching iCarly right now on Netflix. My five year old is, and I mean that's the kind of things that they want to do, and uh, it. It, it starts with just having that vision. You know, luckily my district now, they, they we talk about how we're trying to prepare kids for jobs that don't even exist yet. One of the things that in Paris that we're looking at is we have kids come in with a variety of different skills using technology. And we try to do at each grade level have uh, areas where kids can be introduced to different types of technology but not make it something that's mandatory or part of the class, uh, especially in the junior high level. I noticed that our... Our junior highs are doing a good job of differentiating some of the things that they're doing because of the differing uh, skill levels coming in. At the high school level, where I, I spend my time, obviously, most of the kids come in with a, a very high level of skill sets, knowing what's out there and knowing how to use different things. It's the things that they're using them for that we really have to concentrate on. You know, it's, it's the same things that schools have always done. Uh, being literate, being able to, to, to be critical, being able to analyze, being able to problem solve. But the world through technology has become so much smaller or, if you will, flatter. And you can get in contact with so much more uh, information and different kinds of viewpoints and with different expertises from people on the outside that the kids need to understand that the technology that in many cases they come in more skilled than the teachers are is can be used to build skills that are both technology uh, based and social skills based and work based so i think we're at the point where schools need to make that transition from it isn't the tools it isn't the the specific technology-based or internet-based tool that's important. It's what you can get the kids to do with those tools and build those skills that they can use in the future. It's exactly what I tell folks all the time. I love my iPad more than anything, and it's a wonderful tool, but if we don't use it correctly, it's not gonna, nothing's going to happen. You can buy me the nicest hammer in the world, but if I don't know what to do with it, it's not. I won't be able to build you a darn thing else with it. Good. And it's the same thing with the technology and the iPads. Good point, Toby. Do you feel we're at the point where we should start taking some of our already written curriculum and shifting the focus a little bit? For instance, should English classes be more focused on how to blog and how to write journalistically rather than how to write a scholarly essay paper? 
I think it needs to be blended. I think there is still some value to the formal research paper. I think it, it's a certain way that uh, kids learn a discipline on how to write uh, to somebody else's standard. But I also think that with today's, today's web where everybody is publishing and everybody is out there and with their own digital footprint and their own brand, that we do need to teach kids the less formal blogging that, that most people are doing now. Now, you know, blogging in, in itself has become an industry and people are making a living at it, so I think it's important that we do show them that. But I think also the research and the scholarly, scholarly writing that, that has always been traditional cannot necessarily be written out of the curriculum. Hmm. One thing I see coming to the schools, and I hope I'm on track here, y'all, because I have a bad tendency of living in Toby land, but... Um, one thing I see is I, I like the technology because we have an opportunity for kids, whether it be children with special needs or just somebody like me who used to sit in the back of the classroom, to show you what they can do and what they know in a completely different way than we haven't seen before. Almost like you mentioned, kind of like you know, the, but just blogging. But now they can create and show you things that I never would have known they, that they were they were able to know or do. And not to take this in a total special needs direction, but uh, my seven year old son with autism. He got on with Cake Doodle, and he decorated an entire cake with the four seasons uh, laid out in different sections of the cake. I never knew he knew the four seasons. He couldn't tell me, but he was able to show me because he was able to decorate it with the, you know, the technology that we put in front of him. So uh, I'm really looking. I'm just excited about it because we're at the beginning of something huge as far as what kids can create and do and show us um, how they know the information we want them to know. That is, that is really cool, Toby. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed is if we do have students that are blogging at the high school level, and at first, the quality was not very strong, but when I was able to go out and, and use the Twitter hashtag comments for kids and have some folks come in from the outside and begin commenting on the students' blogs, the, the student writing all of a sudden changed. They were very concerned about what people were thinking about their writing. In the past, before blogging and, and the Internet, students usually wrote to an audience of one, their teacher. Now they can write to a, a, literally an audience of a hundred or a thousand, and grandma and grandpa might be getting on from California to read what they're writing. So I think it becomes a very important way to motivate kids to look at their own writing critically. So do you encourage your kids to go out there and create a voice of their own when they're 16, 17? As far as students, yes, we do. Uh, we, we let some students... Uh, create blogs and connect them to our website and they didn't they didn't necessarily get controversial but they went out there and put some things down that were very self-expressive and we did not back away from that and i think i think the kids saw that and took uh took it very seriously and also didn't want to hurt their own digital reputation and i think that's an important thing is allowing those kids to to do that and understanding that we're giving them that privilege and giving them that that ability to 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 make their voice heard. Hmm. I I really do like the fact that that school districts are out there trying to push these kids. I know in my school district, you know, occasionally you have that kid that comes by that that wants to be a, a, a top athlete, and we push them towards football or baseball. But I really do like nowadays that schools are pushing these kids towards writing and reading and and just being creative people, which we all know that they are. Um, let, let me post this to Toby first. Um, Toby, down in Mississippi, what kind of services do you see your schools or school districts providing your students? I mean, have you created new tech classes? Have you, you know, tech field trips? What's out there for those students to really motivate them? 
certain things that we're trying right now is just the ability to come up in. You know, like you said, there are tech classes. We have some book clubs that we offer in the evenings and the afternoons. But we offer in our district, especially, we have a, a large number of Title One schools, is what we'll say, Title One or uh, low socioeconomic schools. Now, our district, our whole product fact is using a lot of their technology after hours. We have family resource centers where they can come with large banks of it's almost like a giant computer lab. <laughs> where students can come, students and parents can come and work on projects and assignments at night. And it's not just with computers. There's also, um, we have die cuts there and things that we offer outside of it. In ours right now, it's been more of a support type way rather than extracurriculars. Um, but in some certain schools in our district, we do have, um, like at uh, one of the more affluent schools in our district, um, they have a technology club that designed the school's webpage. That's pretty amazing, especially when you go to the page. I have no idea how these kids did it. It's wonderful. They, I think I'm pretty sure they're writing some code that I haven't, I've yet to discover. But it's just fascinating to see some kids come, you know, come to the forefront that never would have gotten noticed before if it wasn't for that. Nice. And how are things up in Illinois? Uh, very similar. We have uh, students that uh, we do have a web web page class, and our students are actually in control of our web page at our school. Um, not doing the dynamic HTML. Uh, we're using Google Sites and, and templates, but the students are still involved in creating a web page. Uh, we are also using uh, a computer lab designated for graphic arts, and an art teacher teaches a photography class, and students use uh, the Adobe software suite to manipulate those pictures and create artwork graphics with the art and some of the things that they're coming up with is are, are just incredible and some of those things are, are appearing on my art teacher's blog those are things that we weren't doing in the past we're also looking at creating a uh, some self-study classes where students can go on and learn how to do programming beyond the C++ and the basic and the Java that we offer so where kids can maybe possibly create their own apps uh, for for their, their iPads, their iPod Touches, and so forth. And those are things that we're looking on creating. We have an after-school lab that's open every day after school until 5 o'clock, and students are there. They can take uh, online classes. We offer some remedial work with online courses. They can also get ahead. They can take classes ahead if they, if they meet the, uh, the recommendations for it. So those are things that we're able to offer with the technology in our school, and we're hoping to do more. So let me pose the same question to both of you, but let's bring it in for a teacher's point of view. What are some of the services that school districts are or could be providing their teachers as the technology changes from year to year? Um, our district recently, we had a, a curriculum department in our district, and we finally have hired two gentlemen, uh, one in particular, to be, uh, I guess we, we call them uh, ed, ed tech. They're educational technology curriculum guys who have been going out and surveying the individual schools um, in different ways to try to find out, hey, teachers, what do you need and what do you want to learn how to do? So we don't just offer that one-size-fits-all professional development or staff development to them. It's going to be new this year. It's going to be really nice to have. Um, uh, I, I was a, kind of a part of getting a kind of handpicked a couple of the guys to go in it, and we started a tech academy group where we've um, asked certain teachers, kind of the building leaders in technology, to come and we got together and you know what, what are you wanting to learn how to do and what can we show you how to do? And we started our own little posturous blog just between the, the 40 plus teachers that were there and myself where we share ideas and share some technologies and the questions and just try to, our goal basically is to, you know what, we're the leaders in the building. We need to go out and show the other people in the building what we're doing and how we're doing it and help each other to kind of build and grow, I guess, our own little PLN uh, Mississippi style. <laughs> nice. 
I think that providing uh, services to the teachers is one of the biggest challenges that we have in, in our district here in Paris. We, are, about two years ago, were creating a actually an administrative position to promote the use of technology, using technology in the classrooms, creating staff development and personalized staff development per building and per different groups of teachers. Unfortunately, we were unable to fill that position because of budget cuts. We, uh, some of the things that we are doing is we try to create uh, professional development that teachers can attend during the summer. One of the things that we were uh, fortunate to do is uh, procure a enhancing education through technology grant through the federal government and that provided two summers worth of professional development for teachers in which they were not only provided with professional development but were also paid a stipend to attend and those were widely attended and, and did a lot of good for our staff in my building itself we try to have at least a monthly if not weekly after school, we call them Technology Tuesday, and teachers can simply come and discuss some of the things they're using, or I'll pick out a tool that I found that I think is really, really, really could help staff, or somebody that comes to me from staff and says, hey, here's what I'm doing, and I'd like to share it with staff. We share those on a weekly basis. We have created a staff blog. Everybody has access to publish to it, and they can publish different things to it, um, things they found, and it, it becomes kind of like uh, more like a wiki, but it's a blog where they can they can share what they're doing and give demonstrations what they're doing and put up what their class is doing. Um, I really don't know that there's enough that we can do to provide teachers with the time they need to uh, learn the tools because. A lot of people don't understand that aren't in education that the teacher basically comes in the door in the morning and jumps on the rat wheel and they don't have the time during the day like other professionals do to, to do self-study, to look at things and prepare like other professions do. And that is the biggest challenge I see going forward is trying to find the time in the day where teachers can come together and collaborate and talk about what they're doing. That, uh, in I, you couldn't have said it any better, but one thing that I guess we're trying to do along those same lines is there's there's never enough time and there's never enough ways to try to show folks, but I keep trying to remind myself and try to remind my teachers that we expect our kids to come into the classroom and learn something new every day, so we have to do it as well. we got to come in and we got to try and learn something new as far as, even if it's just something simple like Twitter or Google Docs or just anything, it's just we got to learn something new every day, bit by bit. Like how to eat an elephant one bite at a time, so we just got to go bit by bit at it. That's what we're trying to we're trying to go in our building. Thanks, Toby. No, no worries. Um, where, where do we go from that one? <laughs> well, that's what. Uh, well, see, that's what we're focusing on. I, I, you know, we bought these iPads in our building this year, and I said to myself, you know, I I loaded them up with apps, and we've got tons of apps, and I thought, you know what, this is great, but. Man, it's kind of like our teaching. This is the way I'm going to present it to my teachers. I'm going to give it to you guys first, so I guess you're my, my test group. is We always want to teach less, more, and deeper, if that makes sense. Teach less, more. Well, and I want to go, try to go the same way with our iPads this year. Well, we have the iPads. Let's use less apps better. <laughs> we have a um, splashtop whiteboard where we can basically control our presentation computer wirelessly around the room. Almost put a smart board is what I try to tell teachers. We put the smart board in your hands. Let's use that app. And then once we meet our kids, if uh, little Billy comes in and he's having trouble with prepositions, then we can find an app that meets Billy's needs rather than trying to, you know, give, make our apps that we already have adapt to the, what kids we have. 
but we're trying to use less apps more. We're you know, splash top whiteboard and Twitter. There's our focus right there. So we're going to be tweeting home and using splash top whiteboard. So we're out using, I think with the whiteboard, we're using proximity. We're out around the classroom. Um, I watched the class last year, fifth graders use it and she was doing something simple like an object pronoun worksheet and she scanned it into a PDF and then she was walking around the room using splash top and um, circling answers and then it kind of dawned on her. I could hand this to a student and she handed it to one to get them to write in the answer on the iPad and you see the entire room light up, hands in the air, aching to answer a question about object prepositions just so they can object their pronouns just so they can hold the iPad. So that's our focus is basically less apps more. So she's got her iPad. She's walking around the classroom. Is the iPad plugged into a projector or a TV or something? Not it, not with Splashtop Whiteboard. With Splashtop Whiteboard, you use the app to connect to your presentation. I call my presentation computer. That's the computer that's hooked up to your projector. And with Splashtop Whiteboard, it's set up for teachers. It has the annotation tools built in. It's an amazing app. We're going to buy Find a plug app. And, it, you know, you're wirelessly moving around the room now instead of being connected to your uh, projector or your Mac or computer. I'm sorry. There are other computers out there, I've been told, besides Macs. Dave, could you tell us about any of the apps that you see your teachers using? Basically, the, the applications that we're using, of course, we've got the smart, the smart board and we have the tablets that go with the smart board that basically create the same situations in our classrooms. Uh, teachers are using uh, collaborative uh, software on the web is probably the most, most things that we're using. And I kind of like the philosophy, less is more, like you were talking about, Toby, that if we're going to use a shotgun approach and have everybody trying everything, we're not going to do anything well. And so we've concentrated on just a few things as well. And one of the things that, especially my English department, they're using the Google Docs as well as Turnitin.com that has several uh, apps that go with it uh, that allow them to, to grade and do uh, peer editing. It's called PeerMark and GradeMark. And those are things that we are using in our English department exclusively. Now, a lot of my, my uh, uh, teachers are also using Blogger. Um, and I've, I've talked my board into saying it's okay that we just go ahead and blog using a public blogging uh, free uh, service like Blogger. And so far, we haven't had any problems. So those, those are kind of the areas that we've concentrated on. We do have a chemistry uh, uh two classes with a chemistry one and advanced chemistry that are actually using connections to the uh, NCSA at uh, Champaign-Urbana, the National Computing Center in Champaign-Urbana, and they are actually connected with a Moodle with different classes throughout central Illinois, and they are able to share uh, ideas, they're able to share discussion, and they're also able to feed data into the supercomputer there in Champaign and get their... their, their uh, data spit back at them and process. So it's really kind of a neat process for those kids to be involved in. Um, Toby, did you want to give a few more apps while you're on it? Some other apps <laughs> that uh, we, we're trying to get our teachers to use. Uh, one is called Replay Note. And Replay Note is similar to um, Show Me. And uh, there's a new one out there, Screen Chomp. And basically what it allows you to do is record a video lesson. Uh, you can make a screencast, I guess is what it would be called, from your iPad. And we're putting together, I have a Ruse Teacher YouTube channel, R-U-E-S for Richland Upper Elementary School. And we're trying to put together video lessons, just real basic video lessons online just for, you know, someone missed a lesson, someone missed a day, um, just real basic stuff. I, I put up four up there right now, and I have some other teachers that I'm trying to encourage to do some as well. But it's really, it's really neat. And I, I did one today, and I'm trying to tell folks, if, when you're sitting there recording a video lesson, 
is a real reflective way on what are you going to say and how are you going to say it as far as teaching goes. It's a chance to sit there and – my daughter just came in, sorry. It's a, it's a chance to sit there and try to actually really, really concentrate about your lesson. I hope to encourage some other teachers to use it. Um, replay note would be one. And Twitter. And y'all, I've learned so much in the last year on Twitter than I think I did my entire undergrad. No disrespect to the folks that I did my undergrad with, but I've learned so much from Twitter, from folks like Dave that I've met online through Twitter than I have ever. And I'm trying to encourage other teachers to do the same. If they just try it and see how easy it is and how focused Twitter is, you can learn whatever you want on Twitter. Now, Dave, could you talk a little bit about the community around you or communities and what their involvement is in the school district? Should communities have a large say? in the types of technology that we teach our kids? I think the community should be heavily involved uh, if you can engage them in that conversation. Uh, But for the most part, we've had difficulty bringing parents into the school to talk about technology. Uh, For the most part, parents parents are using technology in, in their home but are not as connected to the everyday dealing with the the same things that we are most of our parents are probably on facebook they're connecting with family and using email and looking at the internet and using youtube videos but for the most part i don't think they see it as a way to connect their students to lots of resources outside the building and break down the walls of the school and i think that is the the concentration that we're going to work on this year is trying to pull parents in and show them what we are using with technology and begin to get them involved as well in in the students education and hey how many of you parents out there actually have something that you could share with our students? We could have you come in and, and, and Skype in or use uh, G+, Google+, and be in a group discussion with us during school uh, and share your expertise. And those are some of the things that we need to do. So to go back and give you a, an even longer answer to your question <laughs> is we need to do a better job of getting the community involved. After all, it is their school. And they need to understand the importance of what we're doing. And I think once they begin to see how, you know, school has been transformed by technology, but it hasn't changed the basic skill sets that we're trying to get students to do. It's just different. And it's it's more engaging. I feel so smart because I had a similar conversation with my wife earlier. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so nice to hear somebody like Dave say something that I was saying earlier. It makes me feel intelligent. There's like minds out there somewhere. Um, (laughs) I totally agree with what you said about bringing parents in in new ways because I I was reading something, I think, by Todd Whitaker talking about how some of the more traditional parent involvement ways that we do now are so not – they're not really authentic. Like we have parent-teacher night coming up, and it's almost like a marathon for the poor teachers. There's parents all over the place. Kids from last year, last year's parents saying hello, and it's not an authentic way to open up those, I guess, authentic communication. And I, I'm really interested in trying to learn some new ways from, from Dave. You, I wish I had time to sit down and like type out everything you were saying of ways to bring those, like like the Twitter and Facebook, just any way we can tell them. You know, there's no ways to get involved at school. Right. One of the things that I found, um, you know, Twitter and Facebook are great tools, and I've embraced them. I've got uh, probably about 18 out of my 38 full-time staff that are probably lurking on Twitter two or three times a week. They're not using it in the same way that I am, but they are getting the resources. But most of our parents are not using those resources in the same way. A lot of them are on Facebook, but they're keeping track of their kids and they're, they're in their own social groups, and they're not looking at using Facebook and Twitter to keep track of larger ideas and, and sharing information. And I want to pull them into our social network. I, I 
I, I, I read a blog today by Tony Baldessaro about how, you know, it's not no, it's no longer for him a social network and a learning group. It is a social learning network. His friends, his parents, his school community, it's all come together into not just a place to share ideas, but it's also social. And what a way to create a community of learners is to involve parents, grandparents, school-aged kids, and the teachers of the community in a meaningful dialogue about what things need to be like. And in my mind, that's the utopia that we need to head towards. Unfortunately, the Internet's also full of a lot of criticism and anonymous uh, snarking, if you will, and teachers get a little bit afraid of that and afraid that pulling parents into the network would do that. But I think the more transparent we can be, the better chance we have of pulling those parents into those networks and getting them involved. You know, it's August, and, you know, Dave's kids are going to be starting in a few weeks, and Toby's kids are starting probably by the time the sun comes up, and we send out a list to our kids that says you need to get some pencils, some crayons, a backpack, markers, etc. Um, should we be putting on that list, you need to have a flash drive or a thumb drive on you, you need to have an account for, say, something like Dropbox or a Twitter account? Are, are we at that point where we, sh- we should be expecting our students to come in with accounts like that? Or are we allowed as teachers to... I don't want to say demand, but basically say, look, we're doing a class. You need to have a Dropbox account. Go sign yourself up. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tackle that one first. Uh, I think we are so varied at where we're at in different school districts. I mean, I looked at one state, and I think it's, I think it's Missouri, that has passed a bill or passed into law that teachers are not supposed to be friends with kids on Facebook. We have districts out there that have everything that we've talked about today blocked, their teachers and students don't have access to it. Um, in, a, in a perfect world, I think it would be very nice that, okay, what you need to have to come to school this year is you need a Dropbox account, you need to have a, uh, a Skype account, you need to be on Twitter, and in order for you to get all of the information you need for class and to download your your assignments and upload them to your teacher, you need to have a, a Google account, etc. Unfortunately, I, I don't know that we're ready to be there yet in a lot of parts of this country. I know in my own school district, we would be there if it wasn't for the fact that many of our students don't have the ability to use those tools outside of the school. And that, that would be, uh, to me, where, where we need to be. But there are some of those barriers, whether they're because of poverty or because of the inability for a school community to embrace transparency and get over the fear of the internet's dangerous for our kids uh, i think we we need to overcome those barriers and hopefully it's soon so those lists that we put out at, here it's walmart or you know the local store doesn't even need to be there it it's online it's delivered to you it's on the facebook school facebook page and anything that you need at is is there on the, on that site, and maybe you have to go and pick up a few pencils or, and so forth. But wouldn't it be nice if we were just paperless? Mm-hmm. Toby, I think we're like like he said, we're on our way there. Um, I see each year, you know, last year we had no access to YouTube, and they opened up YouTube for us. And, and this year, after a lot of complaining, uh, Twitter. There's rumblings that Twitter is going to be unlocked for us at school. I won't have to use my three G the entire time I want to tweet during the day. Um, 
And uh, we're even closer now. Folks in county office uh, are at our district office, excuse me, keep sending us Dropbox files and we tell them, well, Dropbox is blocked. I'll, I can get access, but our teachers can't. So I think we're at a point where we're, it's coming around very, very slowly. And I'm really happy about that because, you know, blocking and filters, I understand they have their place and their point. But, you know, in the real world, when kids are at home, there is no there are no filters on their computer for the most part. And we have to give them the skills to, you know, to be responsible when they're on those computers and, you know, not tarnish their digital footprint. Because eventually, you know, we won't have resumes anymore. People will just Google you. They want to know about you. I, my children got a new teacher. As soon as my wife found out his name, I was like, oh, let's Google him. See if he's got a Facebook. Let's find out who he is. That's a scary thing, i got to tell you. Resume. It's a real <laughs> scary thing. And, and, and later in the program, we're going to be talking about, you know, resumes and such. But while we're on this, what should we be expecting our kids to use for digital file transfers? Should we expect them to be having flash drives? Who should supply the flash drives? It's five bucks to get an eight gig flash drive these days but i know for myself i have a hard time just getting my kids to go out and find those things and they're everywhere i, I think um and this is just me i I, I'm, I tell people all the time i'm allergic to paper and i'm allergic to flash drives too uh, with things like google docs and you know the icloud is on its way to opening up and the whole you know the world will be better when it does but with google docs um icloud dropbox you know i, I those those file transfer those file transfer sites are uh, to me a thing of the future and you know we lose flash drives or there was a commercial online where or on the radio i heard where mom i had a flash drive but i left it in a computer and i don't remember which computer <laughs> you know I, I think flash drives are great but i also think that you know pretty soon we just won't need those anymore i know that sounds kind of i don't know maybe nearsighted but farsighted i can't decide which but i don't know that's just my what? opinion Flash drives are the one thing that I'm afraid of coming into school from the outside. Uh, they are so big now that you carry applications on them, and the only time we've ever had trouble with things uh, getting into and past our viral um, software are when kids bring stuff in on their flash drives. Uh, we still allow them to use them. We just make sure that they understand that they cannot use apps, and if they spread a virus to our network, it's a violation of the AUP policy. So we allow kids to have them. What we have done is give each kid a a block on our file server for their own storage. And for the most part, a kid can can use that all year long, and it's big enough that they really don't have to delete anything as long as they don't abuse it and put a bunch of stuff on there that they're not supposed to. We allow kids to have access to Google Docs in school. So they have the ability to store things in their Google account, and we also have Dropbox available for them to, to use at school. So there's a multiple way of, of ways kids can store things, and we've gotten to the point where a kid can no longer use the uh, excuse, well, I don't have that version of Office at school. I don't have, I, I emailed it to myself and I couldn't get it. Those are no longer excuses because there are multiple ways to store that, and we teach them how to do that in our freshman computer concepts class. I think it's a great thing that you guys have Google Docs open, and, and my school does. I know a lot of schools in my area do, and, and it's a real lifesaver for a kid to be able to get up there, store some stuff, get to it. I've used it in lessons to share files and to change files. You know, with teachers getting onto technology with schools getting onto technology, with, with the students bringing in their own technology. I, I frequent myself going down to my technology people and, you know, can I have this? Can I have this? So-and-so has this version of an, of a, an app. Um, that kind of brings the topic around to technology, technology budgets. Um, 
what would you guys say say that the biggest strain is on your technology budgets? Ink. <laughs> no, seriously, we have uh, uh, some. I spent today. I, I I signed a purchase order that was fifteen hundred dollars worth of ink for one of our printers for our graphics arts program. Um, <laughs> and as far as I'm concerned, it's the consumable stuff that becomes the biggest expense. Um, and and I look at it that way because a lot of our technology in the last three years has been zero sum for us. We, we were lucky enough to procure that grant and were able to buy a lot of nice stuff that was basically no cost to us. Um, and luckily, uh, and it's a long story, our, our district um, is actually, my cooperative high school is a combo of two districts. And it was a reorganization under Illinois state law, and we qualified for some incentive money. And what we have done, the Board of Education for my cooperative has designated that money to be put back for technology use. And it's not a huge amount of money, but it's going to end up being uh, a good sum and we will be able to begin to rotate a lot of our stock and pay attention to where the technology is going. So we're in a fortunate situation in our district. Same here. We're we're fortunate enough that we have you know we received Title One funding, and that's where you know we we have the technology that we basically want and need. And we were able to play Oprah on the last day of school last year and hand out iPads to everybody. Um, I think also though a lot of it goes into planning. You know, I see schools all over the state, not just in our district, all over the state. They have wonderful football fields, and they have maybe one computer per classroom. And, you know, if it's if it's important and you plan for it, you'll have those things there. Um, you know, the principal, I, I worked with a great principal. When I got there, He part of his budget each year, you know, he, he bought two projectors, and he bought four bulbs because he knew he was going to need to replace them. This year, we bought iPads. Sure, we have, an, we have a backup iPad. We have actually three backup iPads from iPad 1s, and we also bought extra extensions like the connector cables to charge them. We had the Mac. We bought a couple extra Macs. You know, it's just a planning, a lot of planning, and we buy a little bit at a time when we can, and we have it put up and stored up to when we need it. And ink is ink is always a problem. We are ink and copies. Ugh, but there's our you know planning. A lot of planning goes into it. I'm fortunate enough to have a you know a, I, I call my boss, but he, he teaches me these things. You know, the planning the planning is just a huge side of it. Little bits at a time. I, I'm, it's it's nice to say that we all have the same answer. I, I know talking into my tech people like. Let's say our budget for for technology is like sixty thousand dollars or something like that for the high school. I, I think twenty thousand of it is in ink and and paper products and and you know eventually that's going to go away. I hope you know because obviously we always need it to be used for for the students, of course, for other things. Um, are, are we really preparing our students well for technology and teaching with technology? Do you guys feel? I can only speak from the experience within my own building, and I think we have some pockets of excellence where we are doing some fantastic things with kids that are are using technology and having them be uh, modern learners. I hate using 21st century, so I'm going to use modern learners and using things that they will use when they get out of school, um, whatever they decide to do. But we have also lots of traditional teacher-centered uh, instruction that goes on not only in my building but in the district at, at, at large and there's still a lot of things to do to train teachers and and students and their parents uh, it's not just getting teachers on board and getting them to see the value of using different tools and giving up some of the control the teachers and the and the students also sometimes they come into a classroom where it is you know 
here's the assignment, and I'm going to be spending my time while going around the classroom working with you individually, and you have to have this done, and here's here's the tools that I expect you to use. And a lot of kids really get to that atmosphere and, or that environment and say, wait a second, I don't get this. I don't understand this. I can't do this. What is it I have to know? Tell me what I need to know so I can tell you back. And the whole system from k- kindergarten all the way to the top needs to change in a, in, a, in a pedagogical sense that, you know, teacher-centered learning is not and cannot be the primary way that we are using uh, our classroom time. I totally agree, and it's a huge shift to make. I mean, we're, we're at a point where we're, we're still distinguishing the fact that, you know, a lot of us are digital, I guess we're digital immigrants and there's digital natives, and that's a hard differentiation for us to, you know, distinguish for us digital immigrants, you know, the people who are still learning technology and didn't grow up with these things all right in front of us, you know, the day we were born. And that's, that's what's kind of withholding us from being good all over. We have some, like Dave said, we have some, I, I like to term pockets of excellence. We have some classrooms that are using it wonderfully, and then we have some that Promethean boards are still just fancy overhead projectors. And, you know, those are things that we have to fix and work on. But a lot of it goes down with training. I'm excited with the technology now that we have, though, that, you know, training isn't – it's not as uh, a huge of a mountain to, I guess, climb because, you know, instead of sending a teacher to so-and-so's classroom for a day, they can visit their classroom and watch them teach over Skype if you wanted them to. You know, they wouldn't even have to enter the room. Just turn the computer around and poof, there they are watching a lesson, you know, from that teacher. You know, those types of things that – technology are affording us now that can kind of change the way we teach our teachers hopefully do a better job of using technology in the classroom you know i i think if you look across the educational landscape there's a lot of new young teachers coming up the 20 year olds the 30 year olds that have just completely embraced these different technologies and then you have a pocket of teachers that have been teaching and they're close to retirement age and you know what do you say to the teacher that's got the mindset or attitude of i've been doing this for 100 years I'm not going to change it. I've got two more years left before retirement. Why do I want to make a website all of a sudden? So I guess the question is, what do you say to the teacher who's afraid to learn or to adapt to these new technologies? Well, the first thing I do is I try to embrace what they do well and let them know what they do well. Um, <laughs> some some teachers are, are, are not going to use the new tools, and I just have to go in and say, this is what you do well, and push that. There are several teachers like that. It's interesting that you say that the teachers that have been around for a while and are used to doing it the old way are not willing to use the new tools, whereas the young kids coming in to the profession are ready to use them and have embraced them. That hasn't necessarily been my experience. Um, some of my longer-term teachers are actually the ones that have done a better job of embracing the new tools and using them to their advantage, whereas some of the new teachers that have come in, yes, they use Facebook, and yes, they've used some of those things, but they were never trained to use them in their teacher training programs. So uh, they don't come in with a, a great idea of, okay, here's how I'm going to use Google Docs in my classroom, because they've never been exposed to it. The first exposure they get to it is when one of my veteran teachers is explaining how they've used it. So um, I think... Uh, we really need to, to to spend some time looking at teacher training programs and pre-service teaching and making sure that those teachers have been uh, exposed to that. I think my, my, a lot of my experiences are similar to Dave's again, um, but it goes back to the building itself. I, I was, again, fortunate enough, this is my second year with um, Chris Bates at Richland Upper Elementary in Richland. Um, 
he, he was the leader who, who already embraced those kind of technologies. To him, it was the stuff he went and sought out, and he found, you know, he'd tell me himself, you know, I find one or two teachers in the building that really love and use these things, and we would use it. And then eventually they would see them using it, so that person would want to use it too. And it would kind of spread that way. And he's he's been, it, it, I guess it's been Grant's kind of part of the culture of the building that, you know, we use these technologies to engage kids. It's been that way for such a long time. Perfect not as much resistance to it because of his openness. I guess that makes sense. But I think it's his openness to technology has really helped kind of, I guess, manage the resistance normally is there to it with a lot of teachers. I think really what it comes down to, and, and you know, I'd love your comments on this, is it's not showing the teacher the technology, more showing the teacher what the technology can do for them. You know, uh, when we do app reviews and stuff on TeacherCast. It's not, hey, this is a great program. It's, this is a great program and this is how I use it in my classroom. And, and I'm, I'm finding more and more as, as I'm talking to you know my colleagues, it's why do I want to use Twitter in my classroom? How am I using Twitter in my classroom? Now somebody else might want to take and expand those ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an important point. Uh, you know, I've been struggling here just the last couple of weeks with the new Google Plus uh, social network and trying to figure out, okay, why would I want to spend time doing this? Is it going to become a time waster for me? Do I need to migrate what I'm doing to a new platform? Why would I spend that time? Now, I'll continue to explore it, but we have to we have to also understand that teachers, if you introduce them to a new tool and they don't see uh, the utility in it, it's it's just a time waster for them, and, and time is a premium. Absolutely. Have you seen the website out there? It's really, really good called googleplustoday.net. I have not. No. It's, try, check it out. It's Google Plus Today, but what it is, it's, it gives screencasts, it gives audio casts, it completely takes you guys how you know from the beginnings of Google Plus to the ends, and um, it, it's a great website. There's a great iTunes feed, googleplustoday.net. Check it out, and... Uh, there's a little plug for a friend of mine, but but seriously, it's a great site. Um, tells you about the Hangouts and and um, yeah, I can't say enough about the site. It's really really impressive so far. It's uh, actually one of the top ten on iTunes usually too. GooglePlusToday.net. GooglePlusToday.net. Is, is that plus as in symbol or plus as in word? Uh, the word. Okay. GooglePlusToday.net, and uh, it's run by a good friend of mine, and he's been doing it for a month now, but. But my goodness, he's got a great site, and um, yeah, I mean, if any teacher out there is looking to, to figure out what Google Plus is and, and how to incorporate it into your classroom, the, the idea of Hangouts on Google Plus, you know, with Skype you can do face-to-face back and forth, but with Hangouts, I was doing a Hangout today with, with six or seven people, and it's video chatting. Um, there's a YouTube feature in there, so if you want to showcase a movie or a de- do a, a screencast demonstration, you can pop that on there. There's a chat box. I mean, it's everything that you could really want in there, and that's just just that Hangout is just really one feature in there. I, I I'm slowly trying to embrace it as I, I, I as I embrace all this other technology for school. I think I'm, I'm like you. I can hear it. I'll go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. I, I, no, no, you can no, tell no. I'm you can tell I'm a principal, and I when I talk, I just talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, I, I see the same thing in Google Plus. I I, uh, I I love the Hangout. I've done a couple of those, and 
I can see some great practical applications when it comes to the classroom. As a so- former social studies teacher, the ability to create uh, oh just lots of simulations and have people come in and and create role play and and have people from other parts of the world being involved in your role play and panel discussions just amazing possibilities. But the uh, the thing is is you know I just slowly get some of my staff onto the Twitter thing. And to say, okay, this year we're going to use Google Plus. I can just see the looks on their faces, you know. Um, but uh, you know, when I when the utility becomes so uh, enticing to me, yeah, that I'll be the one out there on the edge pushing that in my building too. And I think that's that's part of our job, though, is to always be seeking out, you know, what's going to come next. Is you know, we're going to learn Twitter this year, and I'm hopefully we can we can use it to improve communication and to do some other things with our teachers. But, you know, we always got to be looking out for what's going to come next and what's going to happen next. And I think that's what Google plus is. Absolutely. I'm, I, I stick my toe. I've got, I've got my toe in the side of the pool of Google plus. Um, you know, I haven't jumped in yet, but my toe's there. I got, there, there's a lot of uh, this is turning into a Google Plusathon, but there's a lot of teachers that have done the, you know, set up a Twitter account as Thomas Edison, but wouldn't it be really cool to get two people on a Google plus hangout dress them each up as a different historical character, and then you get four or five other people chiming in and doing an interview, and then you screencast that, and then you pop that up on a website as a program. So you're actually watching people interview Thomas Jefferson dressed as Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, uh, the possibilities are incredible. And I, I agree, Google Plus is, you know, is something that's there that is intriguing and going forward i'm sure I'll, i've already adopted i obviously am already using it and have it attached to my facebook and twitter and everything else but the uh i the learning curve becomes uh so much greater for those people that you're trying to get to do things um that uh, i guess it perplexes me at this point well, once again guys you know and for all the listeners out there give it a chance google plus is, is it's going to hit us soon, and I'm really looking forward. Um, and again, for a really good site, googleplustoday.net. I, I want to ask you guys the question, what would you say to the teacher that's afraid of embracing social media because of things they read and hear and see on the news? Um, now, you guys said that your school district has a Facebook page, but you know, it seems like every time you turn around, there's a Facebook school student. Uh, how would you... You know, talk to us. Talk to a teacher about stuff like this. I, I had somebody, and I, I can't claim this as my own, but someone said this to me once. Um, if someone uh, took a pencil and wrote an ugly word on the bathroom wall, would you close your bathroom? No, you can't. You need it. And I think we kind of adapt. You know, the social media. We got to look at social media the same way. It's become such a huge part of everyday life or that global society that I think we would be doing, a, I guess, a disservice or malpractice to our students, I guess, what it would be if we acted like it just didn't exist, tried not to use it. It would almost be malpractice because who's going to teach them not to say ugly things about people on Facebook if their teachers don't? You know, who's going to teach them not to cyber bully or, or snark? I like snark. I always use snipe. <laughs> but you snark somebody on the internet. You know, there's such a disconnect on the internet just because they're not in front of you. You could say the ugliest things of whatever you want just because they're not standing there. And I think that, you know, that we'd be doing a disservice by not is what I try to tell them. We can't close a bathroom just because somebody writes a bad word on a bathroom. So we got to act. We can't act like social media is not there. Yeah, I'd say, I, I'd agree with you completely, Toby. I use this uh, similar analogy as: Are you going to ha- go have surgery and walk in the door, and they're going to use ether on you? You know, you can't ignore the new tools. Exactly. I don't want somebody putting a roof on my house using a hammer when they can use an, uh, 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 a pneumatic nail gun. You know, 
We've got to let the kids have the tools. We've got to put them in their hands. And, it, you know, I don't, in my vocational classes, in our construction skills classes, we don't take the nail gun away from them because they might shoot each other. We teach them how to use them right. And if they don't use them right, then we, we take it away from them for a while, teach them, you know, that you can't do that, and then we let them have it back after they understand. It's got to be the same thing with the social tools. And that's, uh, go back to your, your question about what do I do with the teachers that, are, that is afraid to use it? I simply say, you know, the world has become so much more transparent. You've got to be the same person you are in the classroom that you are online. If you're going to have a public persona and you use it in the education world, you've got to realize that the public is going to see you as who you really are, whether you're, you know, it used to be back when I started teaching, could you be seen in a bar? Could you be seen going into a liquor store because you were afraid the public was going to see you do that? Well, it's changed in that our life has become that much more transparent. A lot of people spend hours, even adults, on Facebook sharing information, trading jokes, and so forth. They've got to realize that, yeah, uh, the public is watching that if you make that public persona and make it part of your educational life. And that does scare some of our teachers. And uh, I think that's a legitimate issue. You know, do teachers have the right to have a private online life? And I think that's, that's an issue that's going to become bigger and bigger as time goes on because we see uh, the public really prying into what people are putting on these sites, but people got to realize that it's public information. You know, it's like leaving your, your windows uncovered at night. People are going to peer in and look and see what you're doing. But don't put anything out there that you don't want your mom or your grandma to see or, or your spouse or so forth, and, and we'll be fine. It can be a great tool, and it, it lets people know who you are, and it lets your students know who you are. And I love that philosophy because if teachers aren't going to model how to behave online, how are the kids going to learn? You know, they're they're not. They're not. And it's it's difficult, but, you know, it's just the way it is. It's just the way society is now. I don't post anything online that I don't want anybody else to read. Sometimes right. I make a little too far, but, <laughs> you know. Well, and, and that's a good philosophy. I mean, it, it, and really, you know, the expectation of the public life of the teacher hasn't changed. You can go back and look at the rules of teachers in the, in the 19th century. And, you know, once a, once a, uh, a female teacher got married, they were done because – you know, teachers didn't do that. Teachers were supposed to be that person that was in the classroom and there for the kids and, and to take care of the community's children. And once they got married, they obviously were going to be distracted from that. Um, I know teachers probably don't like to hear that, but you are held up as a role model in the community. And if you're going to have a, a, a public online life, make sure that you understand how to keep whatever it is you want to keep private, private. And, and teachers need to understand that. Um, and, and I do understand the reluctance. And, and I'm not going to force a teacher to use social media um, like a Facebook and a Twitter. But I do expect them to use the technology tools for their kids. Th- those are all really good points, guys. Thank you so much exactly. for talking about exactly. that That's stuff. That's a great point. Um, I, I can't begin to tell you how many times we've had conversations on the TeacherCast podcast and, and even offline just on just on those topics of I, I can't believe somebody posted that or why would you post that and you know we're all living in a world that's changing so fast and student teacher interaction is so easy right now and you know we forget sometimes if you post your phone number don't be surprised when somebody sends you a text message and and vice you know so it's just good advice to to think about and I'd like to circle this around to your role as an administrator in your school district. 
you guys are looking at resumes constantly, both from veteran teachers and from new college grads. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what types of things you're getting in for job applications? Are you still getting paper resumes? Are you getting people that just send one page and then see my website? Um, do you do background checks on Facebook? How? So many of us are out of jobs these days. What what should we do to you know to, to best serve ourselves these days? We we are still receiving paper resumes. Um, you know, I wish I, I wish I had a lot more. So where, um, you know, I would do a cartwheel if somebody brought me in a resume with a name at the top and a QR code right in the middle. I would just be like, oh, you're hired. <laughs> but we also go and check out to see if they have a Facebook page or see what their you know look for their digital footprint online if they have one at all or if they have you know you know some red flags can pop up that way. But we're still we're still kind of. I guess at the beginning stages, technology hasn't affected it that much. Where I'm at, where I'm at. And, and Dave, would you keep a candidate around if someone just said, "Please check out my website," and that was really the only thing on an email or on a on a resume? I, I think you know I've never been a big resume person, um, so it would all depend on lots of factors. Would I be impressed if somebody brought me, or if somebody just simply uh, had an online application? Yeah, I'd be I'd be impressed if the right things were there. Uh, we in Illinois we have a, a a job a job bank where we post everything online, and people are able to apply online and put all all their information into files at that site. So in a way, we do receive uh, electronic um, resumes and electronic applications, but we still also receive the hard copies for for a lot of cases. But to get back to your question, it, it has a lot to do with more how their philosophy and how they fit into our team, uh, whether they be a veteran or whether they be a new teacher. It ha- the philosophy for me always has to be kid first. And if a person is, is a teacher of kids and then their subject matter with the time they have left, um, that's the person that I'm looking for. Do they have to be somebody that's coming in and, and knows me by my digital footprint and can talk about what I've written and regurgitate what I put on my blog? Uh, I'll have to tell you that I've had a couple of people come in there and they've made it to the finalist round because simply because you know they're 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 following my philosophy because they've read what I've done online. It is kind of shocking to me, though, the number of candidates that come to me that really have no digital footprint. Uh, you do a search for them on Facebook. You'll you'll do a Google search and and a general search on them, and there's very little digital footprint for them out there. And that is really to today the majority of candidates. They might have a Facebook page out there, but they haven't done a whole lot to create a a, a digital brand for themselves. And I think that's something that teachers that are looking for jobs now. Um, I don't know how many administrators are like me, but teachers that are looking for jobs for me, those are the things that stand up and, and, and set a candidate apart. Good information. Very, very good information with so many people out there looking for jobs, looking to put stuff together. It seems like both of you guys agree. Have an online, whether it be a website or a digital portfolio, something that can be easily presentable and uh, just know that People out there are looking at those things. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Um, well, we're getting close to the hour time here on our podcast. We like to keep things relatively in that hour long. Um, I want to say thank you guys one more time, really, just for coming onto the program. I, I think you guys have done an amazing job. Um, could you guys hit one more question? Uh, Certainly, Jeff. 
I, I'd like to end this with just doing a little quick fire here. Um, just give me your first thoughts, couple sentences on just a, a few of these topics that have been in the hot seat of education here. Um, we'll do Dave first, and then we'll do Toby for each of these here. Um, social media, social networking. The new, the new wave of teachers sharing information, creating a personal learning network, online 24-7 professional development. I'll say it's not going to go away. We can't pretend it's not there, and we have to you know, try to be proactive instead of reactive with it as far as education goes. How about Facebook? Facebook is the community water cooler. Exactly. Facebook, I always tell teachers, uh, Facebook is fun. Um, it's the mall, but Twitter is where you go and buy the specific thing you want. It's the same thing about Facebook. You know, it's, it's fun, and it's where people are, but it's, n- it's where people are, but it, it's not as great a tool as I see some of the others being. Since you mentioned it, Twitter. Uh, Twitter is, uh, you know, it, it's an echo chamber. It's a lot of the same things over and over again. But with that being said, I would say that Twitter is probably be, would be the one thing that has changed my practice the most in the past three years. I, I have to echo the same thing. You know, I guess that's what Twitter is, I guess. But Twitter has completely changed the way I look at learning and what and how I learn, you know, who I learn from. You know who I learned from. I learned things I never would have had. You know, um, I never would have uh, been just um, experienced just here on my own. One last soundbite on Twitter, if I can. Sure. It 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 answers the questions before I think of them. There you go. It's genius. <laughs> Absolutely true. And, and teaching kids how to use the hashtags is really really important. That way they can have searchable texts and searchable tweets. Um, Correct. How about I'll, I'll say Skype. But I'll also say um, digital video conferencing. Lots of possibilities with uh, with digital video cons- uh, conferencing. It's a great way to break down the, the the building walls and bring the world into your students and take your students out to the world. I'll say, um, tell teachers and librarians look for the authors. You will have authors do free book visits via Skype. Authors like Patrick Carmen, there's a plug for one of my favorites and one of my coolest uh, authors for Reluctant Readers. He, he does free Skype visits to your school. Um, and you can't ask for that. You used to have to pay bajillions of dollars to get an author to come to your school, and now you sign up with Patrick Carmen. He'll do it for free over the Internet, and he's right there. Amazing. Text messaging. Don't do it while you drive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'd have to echo that, but it's a great uh, it's a great way to give out blanket information. And I know from an assistant principal's point of view, at least in my building, with, that's in charge of discipline, it is the bane of existence at times because text mm-hmm. messaging is is the biggest way that kids bully one another. And, I, and that would be if I I don't want to even soapbox on it, but I think again, it's kind of like the social media. If we would embrace it and try to teach them how to use it responsibly and respectfully, it can be a really powerful formative assessment tool. Can kids have their cell phones on in your building? Not in ours, no, sir. And we, we allow our kids to have them, and if the teacher says have them out and have them on, it's okay. And our incidents of, of phone cell phone violations and problems with kids bullying one another went down this past year. So See, if there's all. a... I don't know if uh, there's a, a strong causal effect that we can identify but those that correlation did happen okay and, and that's and, awesome what 
I guess that kind of goes to the next topic, which was cell phones or internet devices. Smartphones and digital devices that students carry with them are going to make a big change in, in the way schools approach technology. Kids with a computer in their pockets and the answers to a lot of uh, the trivial questions that are done in school, it's going to fundamentally change our practice in the next couple of years. I always like as far as fundamentally change your practice goes, if, you're, if your students can look up the answer to your question on Google, you're not answer, asking the right questions. How about students bringing their laptops into school and using them? We allow it. Um, we have uh, uh, Wi-Fi. It's not completely building-wide. We're working on getting the last few dead spots worked out. But uh, Wi-Fi is available. Um, they can log in, and they're not actually logging on to our server. So we are actually allowing kids to bring in their own devices. I think it would level the playing field between um, – we have, like – uh, uh, you know, schools that are very affluent that don't have title funds and complain that they don't have title funds, but at the same time, if we if they let their students bring their own devices, that would kind of level the technology playing field because they have kids that can afford devices that our kids never would have. They already have, have them at home. So I, I wish we would begin to adopt that philosophy. I think we're heading that way, but we're still kind of just circling around it. We haven't even landed on it yet. How about students bringing their iPads or other tablet devices? I would have the same answer to that. We allow them to bring um, those devices to school, and the teacher is the one that's in charge of that. If the teacher doesn't want it there, then the, te- the kid needs to, needs to put it away or put it in their locker. But if it is part of the classroom and the, and the teacher says, okay, you can take out your devices and use them, we will allow that at, at Paris High School. Well, I hope we're heading that way. I feel like we are. I hope we are. I'm jealous. Jealous, Dave. Jealous. Google+. Plus. Uh, the the new the new the new thing on the block that uh, seems to be uh, uh, very enticing and has a lot of uh, of promise to it. Um, Toby, I saw this one on your website. I think it was Toby. Uh, LiveBinders.com. LiveBinders.com is uh, is probably uh, like I said my favorite website on the internet. It's one of the most useful for teachers and is one of the easiest. You can put together websites. You know, somebody sends you 50 different websites. You can put together websites now based on just subjects, and you can put them in almost a, vir- well, it's a virtual binder. Um, I put together resources for measures of academic progress all in one binder. So if somebody says, hey, where's that website you mentioned? It's in the live binder, and it stays in the binder. Or um, my, my dream, my goal, let's have students put together live binders. They're doing, putting together binders on Thomas Edison, or they're going to put together live binders on resources they found out about um, – Osmosis. The, the possibilities are endless. LiveBinders is my favorite, probably one of my favorite websites on the internet. Most visited, anyways. And last one, how would you? How do you guys feel about online learning for credit in, say, K to twelve education? Would you endorse a student doing an online course and getting high school credit for it? We are already doing that. Um, we are using um, a. a online curriculum for remediation we use it in summer school and we also have an after school lab and actually we actually have a, a online alternative school that opens up at 1130 uh, and kids can come from 1130 to 530 and and do online classes so we've already embraced that now we'll, we, we're careful about where, what the source is but uh, as far as embracing that I think that's something that we have to do I think it's going to it's honestly we're we're at the 
still baby stepping it there. At least I know we're going in the right direction. But I think it's going to change a lot of the way of how we teach because you can get your master's degree online now. Who says you have to go to school to get your K-12? I mean, it, that's unrealistic to think that anymore. So I think it's going to change a lot of the way that we look at education here in our country. And uh, let's wrap up this great conversation. Um, Dave, I'll start with you. Would you throw out your top four or five apps that you're using today, whether it be business, pleasure? What do you use these days? Oh, probably my most used app on my iPhone would be Golf Shot. It keeps track of all my golf scores and statistics, although it I don't like what it tells me sometimes. <laughs> uh, I use uh, Obviously, I use Twitter on a daily basis. It's probably the one thing that I check uh, on a daily basis. Um, I use Google Docs um, I, with my iPad in conjunction with my iPad to do just about everything mobile. Uh, my iPads become one of my one of my biggest tools, and Google Docs is is mobile with it. I have a a wireless a wireless uh, keyboard that goes along with my iPad, and if I need if I don't like sitting and using my screen, I don't want to watch myself type. I take my wireless uh, uh, keyboard with me. Um, so those would be the tools that I use most often. Toby, um, top apps uh, Flipboard, and Flipboard is a reason enough to buy an iPad if you haven't had experience with it yet. It, you can put your Facebook, your Twitter, all in one place, um, different news that you're interested in, uh, your Twitter feed. You can follow Facebook friends. Your Twitter list, and it looks like a newspaper as you flip through it. Flipboard's amazing. Um, stumble upon. I- I'm a big fan of stumbling right now. I wish they had a better search on it, but I, I stumble a lot with uh, stumble upon. Um, and for pleasure, uh, I- I'm torn between uh, Casey's Contraptions and Angry Birds. I'm an Angry Birds addict, I guess. It's not, it's not my fault. They did it to me. Got to love want, the Angry Birds on a, on a large projector screen. I want to go back oh, and embrace Flipboard nice. also. Flipboard Flipboard's an amazing app. Um, anything from your Twitter feed, and you can even put different people's blogs on there. You can put your Google Reader on that. In fact, Flipboard can be your window to almost everything that you're looking at, and it's, it's so graphically appealing. It's amazing. When I show teachers Twitter on Flipboard, they just go, that's not Twitter. Twitter is 140 characters, and it doesn't make any sense, and people are talking about what they're eating. No, look at it in Flipboard. Here's the websites. Here's the pictures. Here's what everybody's sharing. So Flipboard is pretty amazing. Thanks for bringing that up, Toby. No, no worries. Well, Dave and Toby, I'd like to say a great big thank you for taking the time to come on to the show today. It really means a ton to me to have you on the program. We certainly hope that you pass the word around to your schools and friends about TeacherCast, and we hope that you come back on the program again to join us for another ad- Administrator Cast. Thanks for having me, Jeffrey. I enjoyed it. Thanks, thanks for having me. I, I feel so much more intelligent by hanging out with smart people like the both of you, so thank you very much for having me. Toby, could you give us a little bit about uh, where to find you online? Um, you know what? Uh, you can. I, I have a pretty strong digital footprint now. If you uh, Google Toby Price or uh, TeacherShare or... Or uh, Jedi Pad Master comes up pretty quick. Um, Jedi Pad Master will get you to me in a couple of different ways. Um, About.me, Jedi Pad Master will give you a link to all my different websites. Toby? Uh, oh. you, can find, you can find me as PHS Principal on Twitter, and I have a website as DaveMeister.net. And I suppose if you Google me, you'll find me among several real estate agents and, and uh, car salesmen. <laughs> but um, I, I think I've, I've, I've surpassed them, at least in my hometown. Of course, Google knows what I'm looking for. So, Thank you for listening to the TeacherCast podcast. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, TeacherCast.net, to your friends and colleagues. 
Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts and app reviews that are beneficial to you, the 21st Century Educator. This has been a TeacherCast production. Join us next time for another edition of the TeacherCast podcast. <laughs>